Thank you, worship team, for leading us in that time of worship together. I'm going to go off script for just a moment here. I've been feeling a heaviness, um, and I feel like I'm talking to one person. So if this is you, you woke up at 3.47 this morning, just like God woke me up at 3.47 this morning, and I've been praying for you this morning. And I think this is what God wants to say to you. There's danger on both sides. You've been listening to some people who have rightfully been criticizing the people who trample on grace, who don't fully understand the grace of God. But what they want to do in your life is they want to replace it with legalism. And both of those are heresies. And so if you're caught in the middle of those two things and you're not sure which one is true, God is saying to you, neither one of them is true. You need to give your heart to Jesus. You need to surrender completely to him. And you need to find the path that he walks with you. You know who you are. God woke me up at 3.47 this morning to pray for you. I don't know you, but I know your first name. And that's all God gave me. So, take it for what it's worth. For the rest of you who are listening to this online, if you have your Bibles, grab them and take them and flip open to 1 Peter, the book of 1 Peter. If you're new to your Bible, it's kind of near the back of the book. It's one of the last uh, letters that are in the Bible. And uh, if you're new to Bridgeway, if you're listening online, please do know that uh, we, every week, part of what we do is we spend some time in God's Word together. Our sermons are always biblically based, okay? So whether you have a copy of the Bible or, or whether you download the free app on your phone. Uh, you can take the time to do that. We really want you to be reading God's Word for yourselves so that uh, you're, you're making sure that it's God that's speaking to you. So when I preach, I usually use a New Living Translation. There's different English translations. So I, I'm usually looking at my New Living Translation. A couple reasons for that. Um, first of all, one of my seminary professors uh, was involved in the translation, so that I have a natural bias there. Um, also, the New Living Translation is easy to understand, and it was actually uh, translated with the, with the view in mind of it being read aloud. So it reads aloud much more nicely than some of the other translations. And so we're going to be looking at Scripture. And I love what one preacher once said, or said several times, because uh, without Scripture, I have nothing to say to you. I have, I have nothing to say to you on my own. But with Scripture... I never have enough time, and I'm thankful for the worship team and Darren because they got me up here with a little bit of extra time this morning. We're going to just jump right in. First Peter chapter 1, verse 10 through 12, Peter says, This salvation was something that the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterwards. 
They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly awaiting for these things to happen. The word of the Lord. Okay, so a little bit of trivia here for those of you that that like some Bible trivia. Uh, There's lots of mentionings in our Bible about angels. Angels show up all over the place in our Bibles. There's the angels in heaven, the sea of glass, Pastor Darren read from the book of Revelation. There's those angels that never cease to worship the Lord. There's the angels that serve as messengers, and they bring God's message down here to us. There's also angels that are fallen angels. Uh, There's a spiritual realm that is real, I believe. Believe there are angels among us. And yes, that's your Alabama earworm for the day. You're welcome very much. And of course, the Bible also has a lot to say about prophets. Prophets just fill the pages of Scripture from the Old Testament prophets and some of those, some of those guys that were just like, the Lord says, and, and, and they're, they're really cool in the school of the prophets that, that came about in some of the later days. And then in the New Testament, there's this gift of prophecy that the Holy Spirit pours out on some people in the church. And so prophets are talked about in your Bibles a lot. Too. But here's the point of trivia for you, okay? As much as your Bibles talk about prophecy, and as much as they talk about angels, there's only one place in the Bible where prophets and angels are mentioned together. There's only one time that they show up in the same passage. Do any of you know where that is? <laughs> You're so smart. It's in our passage today, First Peter's letter, right? This is the only place in the Bible where angels and prophets are mentioned together. Now, when you read it, you can kind of see it's mostly about prophets and only a little bit about angels, 95 to 5 or something like that. And so that's what we're going to focus on this morning. So we're going to start with a bit of a background on prophets and prophecy. You see, because there's all sorts of different ways that people look at prophets and different prophecies and, 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 and the way that we try and categorize the prophets based on their messages or how they, how they happen to write them or, or what they specifically prophesied about. But, but here's the thing. Here's the only thing that you need to know about prophecies, prophets. Prophets proclaim Jesus. That's what they do. Now, in the Old Testament, because Jesus hadn't come yet, a lot of the prophecies were looking ahead to the future, to some day when they, sometimes they didn't even know when, and they're, they're talking about the Messiah, Jesus, who's coming, and how our lives need to change as a result of that. And so they were looking forward. Now, in the New Testament and in the church age, the the gift of prophecy operates two different ways. Sometimes they're looking backwards at Jesus and his incarnation, those 30-odd years that he spent here on earth. Um, And they're looking back on that, and they're telling us how we should live as a result of that. And sometimes they're looking forward to the return of Christ when he splits the skies and he rides with the angels and he comes to take us home to be with him forever and how we need to live in the light of that. So sometimes in New Testament and church age prophecy, prophecy uh, talks about uh, Jesus in, in the past, and sometimes it talks about Jesus in the future. But here's the thing. They all talk about Jesus. That's what the prophets do. They proclaim the work of God in Jesus. Isaiah the prophet talked about Jesus. Daniel the prophet talked about Jesus. Ezekiel the prophet talked about Jesus. Right here today in the province of, Ma- of Saskatchewan, uh, make sure I'm in the right province. This is not Manitoba. We're in Saskatchewan. Right here today in the province of Saskatchewan, the MB church has a provincial prophet. Did you know that? We do. 
And guess what? He talks about Jesus a lot. James talks about Jesus a lot. So if you understand this one important thing about prophets, that's what it is. Now you can see an outline then of Peter's thoughts here. Number one, the prophets predicted Jesus. Number two, the early church preached Jesus. Number three, the angels puzzled over Jesus. And number four, we have the privilege to know Jesus. And I just want Dave to keep that up there for you to think about that. Because I worked really hard to get those alliterations, those four Ps in my outline this week. So we have to take a moment and just let that sink in. And if four points are, are a little too much for you to remember this morning, there's just one word in that last point that I hope you will carry with you privilege. Just take that one word and let that word soak into your soul and shift the person that you are becoming. Privilege. We're going to get back towards that. We're working our way towards that idea as we go through these verses together. So the first thought then is that the prophets predicted Jesus. That's what they did. There's hundreds of testimonies and hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus. Hundreds of years before he ever came to earth, people were looking ahead in time and predicting all these things about him. Here's just 15. Just, just 15, okay? Number one, he would be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7, verse 14. Number two, he'd be born in Bethlehem, just outside of Jerusalem, Micah 5, verse 2. Uh, if you're listening to this and you, you're, you're listening and you're part of the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, they get this wrong in the book of Alma. Jesus was predicted to be born in Bethlehem. That's where he was born. Number three, he would be born in the tribe of Judah, 12 tribes in Israel, but he would be born to the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49, 10. Number four, his ministry would be up north. He'd be born in the south, but he'd have a ministry up north in, in Galilee of all places, Isaiah 9, verse 1. And number five, he'd be a miracle worker. He would do miracles, uh, casting out the, 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 the demons and healing leprosy and, and giving sight to the blind and healing lame men, okay? He would be a miracle worker, Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. He would teach the people in parables. He would teach the people by telling them stories that was predicted about him, Psalm 78, verse 2. Number seven, he'd enter Jerusalem on a donkey, Zechariah 9, 9. Number eight, he'd be betrayed by a close friend, Psalm 41, verse 9. Number nine, he'd be sold for 30 pieces of silver. Now, if you think about hundreds of years before Jesus comes and the idea of inflation, how on earth would you know the exact amount that he was going to be betrayed for? 30 pieces of silver, Zechariah 11, verse 12. Um, number 10, his hands and feet would be pierced, Psalm twenty-two, sixteen. 16. Number 11, he'd be crucified between two thieves. That's how he would die, and that's who he would die with. How could you prophesy that? That's just crazy to me. Isaiah 53, verse 12. Number 12, his garments would be torn and gambled over, Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. Number 13, his bones would not be broken, Psalm 34, verse 20. Number 14, he'd be buried in a rich man's tomb, Isaiah 53, verse 9. Now, why did he have to borrow a rich man's tomb? Because he wasn't going to stay there. And that's number 15. He would rise from the dead, Psalm 16, verse 10. Now, these are just 15 of the hundreds of prophecies about Jesus that fill the pages of our Old Testaments. The prophets of old look forward in time, and they saw Jesus. Is that not incredible? Now, now, Peter also gives us a few things about these prophets that are also important for us to realize. Number one, they looked forward in time and saw Jesus, but they didn't fully understand everything that they predicted. 
I mean, can you just imagine Isaiah, the prophet, sitting there, and, and the Holy Spirit is inspiring him, and he's going, behold, I will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive. And Isaiah's like, he's writing it down. He's going like, what? Wait a sec, Lord. What? what? Are, are you sure about this? And, and God's just saying to him, like, don't worry about it. Just, just write it down. You, you're not going to get it. In fact, half of the church won't get it, but it's true nonetheless. So just write it down. Uh, Isaiah did not understand everything that he predicted. Ezekiel did not fully understand everything that he was prophesying about Jesus. Neither did Micah or Haggai or Daniel or the rest of them. They were all predicting Jesus. But none of them had a clue how great Jesus was going to be. He was still a mystery to them. And so the second thing Peter says here in his, in his, in his verse is, is, that, is that they wondered about it. They, they didn't understand it and, and they were wondered, full of, they, they wondered when and to whom this would all happen. And so I, I just I want to say to you this morning, wherever you're listening into this, I mean, if God's been a bit of a mystery to you, if you've been looking at God lately and saying, Lord, I don't understand what you're up to, I don't, I don't get what you're doing, let me just assure you that you are in very good company because you're in the company with the prophets of old. They prophesied Jesus. They knew more about God than probably any of us. And yet when it came to Jesus, it was still a mystery. They didn't fully understand it. They mystified and they wondered. And then the third thing Peter says is that whenever they talked about Jesus, there was two specific things that they prophesied about the Messiah. Number one, the Messiah would suffer. And number two, the Messiah would have great glory. Oh, to know you in your sufferings. We sang that this morning, right? Wow. Consider Isaiah the prophet, for example. Some of his prophecies were about the suffering Jesus, the suffering servant in Isaiah chapter 53. And some of Isaiah's prophecies were about the Lord glorified, the Messiah who was in glory and conquering. Like Isaiah chapter 9, king of kings, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. In fact, sometimes people looked at the prophecies of Isaiah and they couldn't even reconcile those two things with each other. There's actually some Jewish rabbis who thought that there were going to be two messiahs because they couldn't reconcile glory and suffering all wrapped up in one person, in Jesus. You know, Jesus himself echoed this mystery after his resurrection when he was on the Emmaus Road with two of his disciples. And he says to them, oh, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe what the prophets wrote in Scripture. But was it not clearly predicted that the Messiah would suffer all of these things before entering his glory? Luke 24, verse 25 and 26. God was up to something with Jesus, and it was so hard to know what was coming. It was so hard to fully comprehend what God had planned, but two things were certain. The Messiah would suffer, and the Messiah would have great glory. My friends who follow Jesus, I know so many of you are mystified by the workings of God in our world today. Like, are you there, God? With everything that's going on, are, are you still here? Are you still in control? Are you there, God, in the, in the riots and the lootings of an empire that claims in God we trust but doesn't trust in you? Are, you? are you there? 
Are, are you there, God, in, in the workings of those, those narcissists who we foolishly elected? Are, are you there, Lord, in Capitol Hill? Are you there in, in Ottawa? Are, are you there, God, in, in the communist governments in, in our world that are trying to eliminate any belief in you whatsoever? Are, are you there, Lord? Are you there in those concentration camps in western China? We only catch glimpses of what, what's happening to the Uyghur people, and, and we, just, we just hope and pray that you're there? Are you there, God, in this pandemic that has us all so afraid and cowering in fear? Are you there, God, in the cancer ward? Are you there, God, in the divorce court? Are you there, God, in my own child straying? Have you gone to that far-off land where my child is? And are you beside them? Are you there, God? I ask you this. If the Messiah had to suffer before he entered his glory, do you not think that we who follow him might do the same? If the Messiah had to suffer before entering his glory, do you not think that we who follow him might do the same? The prophets of old were just as mystified by Jesus as you sometimes are. But regardless of that, they loved him and they looked forward to him. Those prophets who lived so long ago, they didn't even serve themselves by what they predicted. They were serving future generations yet to come. Those prophets served us, you and me. I find enormous encouragement in that thought. Ah. See, I have these moments of doubt in my own life when my faith seems so small and my problems seem so big and I, I wonder if what I believe is really possible. And Peter, the Holy Spirit of God, speaks to me through words like Peter's. And, and he says to me, this is not a fairy tale. This is not a, a ephemeral dream in the night that you wake up from. This is not a, a made-up wish upon a star. The story of Jesus does not rest on your changing emotions. It just doesn't. The story of Jesus is foundational, historical, unassailable truth. And so whenever I find myself in a place of doubt, I remind myself that my doubts do not determine God's truth. My doubts may come and go, but the truth of God in Jesus lasts forever. So the prophets predicted Jesus. And the second thing that we see here is that the church preached Jesus. What the prophets predicted came true. Round about the first century in the Roman Empire, some backward corner of Palestine, the Roman Empire was rocked to its very core as this explosive new movement started to saturate the entire known world. The early church took the truths of Jesus and they just dragged them with them to the very ends of the earth. Acts 1 verse 8. The book of Acts is all about this. And here Peter says, this good news has been announced by those who preach to you in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. 
Christianity went from a backwoods religion that was believed only by a few people. Peter's writing to scattered people throughout Asia Minor. They have no idea what's going to happen in the next generation as they take these truths to the known world and they turn the known world on its ear. With the news of Jesus, it becomes the most widely accepted belief system in the world in just a very short time. One generation. And so let me say to you this morning, without apology, that the true church of Jesus preaches Jesus. If you want political commentary, go to the news sources. If you want facts and figures, go to the Gallup polls. If you want the latest psychological mumbo-jumbo, go turn on Oprah. You're not going to hear that here. We're preaching Jesus. That's what we're doing. Here at Bridgeway, we proclaim Jesus unapologetically. And if you came to church for something else, if you came to hear five steps for financial freedom or, or four ways to improve your marriage or, or three keys to raising happy kids, you've come to the wrong church. We're going to preach Jesus. And as you surrender your life to him, he's going to give you the wisdom to know how to follow him in all of those other ways. You see, God has entrusted to his people the sacred task of proclaiming Jesus. Jesus is not just the vision of the prophet. Jesus is the message of the preacher. And we must not take that lightly. All of us are called to share that message. One day, on the judgment seat of Jesus, each one of us is going to be asked did you tell people about me? That's what Jesus is going to ask us. Did you tell people about me? And on that day, it's not going to be enough for us to say, well, I, I, I shared you with my children, or, or I was too shy to, to share with you with, with people that I didn't know, or, or well, Lord, I, I didn't want to offend anyone because I'm a good little Canadian who doesn't like to offend people, or, or, or I tried and they didn't want to hear what you said, and so I stopped. It's not going to be enough. You are not called to success in this endeavor. God's not going to hold you up and compare you to someone like Billy Graham and see what your numbers are compared to his. You're not called to success, but you are called to faithfulness. So be faithful in proclaiming Jesus and just let the success take care of itself. Church preaches Jesus. There's a couple things here that Peter says about this message of Jesus. First of all, it's good news. It is good news. That's the most important thing, this, this salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. Jesus is not just a good teacher, not just a miracle worker. In fact, not just the Son of God, dare I say that. Jesus needs to come into your life and be your Lord, Savior, and Master. Salvation comes when you recognize who Jesus is, and then you bow your life before him. There's a change in your posture, in your mind, in your spirit, in your life because of who Jesus is. Suddenly, everything else makes sense. That's why it's good news. It's difficult. Someone else in charge of your life? Like I get it. But that's the gospel. That's the good news. And the second thing Peter says is that this is done in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit, the third member of the triune Godhead, the Holy Spirit. And we don't talk about the Holy Spirit a whole lot in our church, maybe. Maybe we should talk about him a little bit more. If you're interested, there's a book by Francis Chan called Forgotten God. It's a good place to start if you want to find out just a little bit more about the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. All right? In the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how this early church, scattered and small, puny and persecuted, managed to fundamentally alter their entire culture, turning the known world all on its ear, all without fancy church buildings, without internet or Facebook pages or live streaming services, without praise bands or drums or pianos or keyboards or any of that, without air conditioning, without kitchens nicely renovated. They turned the world on its ear, and you want to know how they did it? They just preached Jesus. They preached the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And it changed them, and it changed the world. I am so running out of time here, and I'm only halfway through my sermon. So, third thing, the angels puzzled over Jesus. They puzzled over him. Now, our world is really fascinated by angels, and they think all sorts of things about angels. There's two things that a lot of people think about angels that are completely wrong, okay? So I want to just get that out of the way first. First of all, sometimes we believe wrongly that when people who are good enough pass on, they become angels. They earn their wings. Uh, Grandma Maybelline is an angel in heaven. No, she isn't. No, she isn't. She isn't an angel any more than she's managed to transform herself into a hedgehog. It just doesn't happen that way. People don't become angels. Angels are a separate creation. And the second myth that sometimes a lot of people hold on to is, is that when an angel shows up in our lives, they know so much. They know everything about me. They know my secret thoughts and all of those sorts of things. No, they don't. There's only one created, there's only one um, person in, the, in creation that is omniscient, and that is God. Angels don't know everything, and this passage proves it to us. It's also wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. Angels long to look into these things. <laughs> Now, I love the Greek here, and I try not to bore you too much with some of the Greek and some of the history, but I just got to do it here. So, so there's two words in Greek that are just so cool. The first one is parakoupsai. Parakoupsai. And it doesn't just mean to look, to inquire, to like have some sci- sort of uh, neutral scientific inquiry into something. It's got a sense of eagerness to it. The angels are eagerly looking into these things. In fact, it says on tiptoes in some of the places. They're on their tiptoes in anticipation of what God is doing on earth through Jesus in your life. Ellicott says that they they stoop to look down. They are mystified by Jesus. Angels are completely baffled by his incarnation and his death and his resurrection. I can just imagine the mighty archangel Gabriel, and he's got his horn hanging quiet by his side, and he's just standing there on tiptoes, and he's looking at what Jesus is doing on planet Earth, and he's going, what?! What are you doing, Lord? That is just crazy. It's incredibly beautiful to me, that word, parakoupsai. 
And then the second Greek word is epithemousin, to desire something strongly, to covet, to crave. You ever had those cravings? Yesterday I had a craving for chocolate, and there was no chocolate. Uh, and I had to go through the house, and my wife has already locked up the, the semi-sweet chocolate chip cookies from, in her baking corner. So I had to go to Walmart on a Saturday in order to satisfy that craving. And if you've ever been to Walmart on a Saturday, you know how strong that, that craving was, that longing, that, that yearning. Angels long to look into these things. And I want you to just think about this, okay? I want you to just savor this for a moment. My friends and family understand this. God loves you so much that it baffles the angels. God loves you so much that it mystifies angels. They can't figure out the incredible grace and mercy and forgiveness that Jesus keeps having towards you. They don't understand why God loves humanity so much. They can't figure out why God would leave the glory of heaven in order to come to earth for you. The cross is just a mystery to them that he endured. They, they shake their heads at it. They still probably go to the empty grave and they go, well, this is crazy. They're lost in wonder and awe. The angels are amazed by how much God loves his puny little humans. He loves us. And it baffles the angels. I've seen this amazing love of Jesus with my own eyes. I've seen a drug dealer transformed by the love of Jesus to become a missionary I've seen a blasphemer transformed by the love of Jesus to become a worshiper. I have seen a criminal transformed by the love of Jesus to become obedient to the law of Christ. I have seen a reprobate transformed by the love of Jesus to become predestined to salvation. With apologies to my Calvinist friends. I've seen the mystery of new life in Christ, the sins forgiven, the veil removed, the slate wiped clean, the orphan adopted, the chaos brought back into order, the unloved loved. I have seen it. And what is more, I have experienced it. What the prophets predicted but couldn't understand I experience every single day. What the angels stand on tiptoe to try and look into and figure out, I experience that every day. Those of us who know Jesus are more privileged than the prophets or the angels. Gabriel and, and Michael, those, those great archangels, servants of the Most High God, you are more privileged than they are because you know Jesus. Moses, Elijah, Daniel, those great men of old, those prophets, those servants of the Most High God, you are more privileged than they are because you know Jesus. Privilege. Remember how I said half an hour that we were, we were going to come back around to that idea? Well, here we are. Privilege. And so, we could sit and, and wallow in the difficulties of our lives. I do that too often. 
We could focus on all the ways that life is hard because life can be hard. I get that. Like Pastor Darren said last week, we could all suck on lemons. Life gives you a lemons make lemonade. I'm sucking on a lemon. Except for Elizabeth, who apparently likes sucking on lemons. We could do that. Or we could just take a few moments right here, right now, to think about how the prophets longed to see the day that we live in. To consider how the angels stand on tiptoe to watch Jesus working in our lives. How all heaven pauses in rapture and awe when just one human being finds salvation in Jesus. One little girl praying by the bedside with her mom. One little boy asking his camp counselor to show him the Romans road. One little grandma following the testimony of her chaplain, faithfully visiting her in the hospital. One little neighbor convicted by the Jesus that he sees in the house next door. One little addict working the 12 steps, finding release and freedom somewhere in step three, four, five, six, and seven. Those of us who know salvation who know forgiveness, who know Jesus. Man, we are the most blessed people who ever lived. We've won the lottery. We know things the prophets never knew. We understand things that angels can't understand. We see human history in a way that even our unsaved friends and neighbors just cannot see. And so if all of this is true of you, if you know Jesus, then just take a moment to take a God-sized view of your problems. Because they're there. And they're real. And sometimes they threaten to overwhelm you. Yes. But when you see the bigger picture, you start to understand that they're just not as big as they seem to be. They just aren't. There is no way that our sufferings will ever compare to the glory that we have coming. And if this isn't true of you, then I want to hear you to hear this. Because until you come to know Jesus as your personal Savior and surrender your life to him as your Lord and Master, nothing else will make sense to you. You'll never understand the universe or your place within it. You'll never understand the workings of the world. You'll never understand until you wrestle with this Jesus and surrender to him.
to plant him squarely in the center of your existence. As long as you keep ignoring him or keeping him at the edges of your life or confining him to one day out of your week, nothing will ever make sense to you until Jesus takes his rightful place at the center of who you are, until he moves in and takes over your life, wipes your slate clean, forgives your, your, forgives your sins and offers you salvation and a new life and the hope of eternity, until that happens, nothing else, everything else will be out of whack. Nothing else will make sense because you've missed the central truth, the central figure in history. Jesus. Privilege. We are incredibly blessed, incredibly fortunate, incredibly privileged. We know Jesus. And this week, if your heart really is gripped by Jesus, if if you really have him at the center of who you are, I won't have to tell you to count your blessings instead of your problems because you're already doing that. And if your heart is gripped by Jesus this week, I won't have to tell you to rejoice evermore because you'll already be doing that. And if your heart is truly gripped by Jesus, I won't have to tell you to go evangelize your friends, to go share the good news with your neighbors or even your enemies because you'll already be doing that. If your heart is really gripped by this Jesus, then nothing on earth can stop you. Nothing can stop you. Not even prophets. Not even angels. Privilege. The words of Paul to the Philippian church. He said, whatever were gains to me, I now consider them loss for the sake of Jesus. What's even more than that, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth, the surpassing privilege of knowing Jesus. For Jesus, I've lost everything, and I consider everything that I've lost garbage that I may gain Jesus, that I may be found in him. Father, may these words from the teacher and missionary Paul be the words of our hearts this morning. Would you stun us this morning with the privilege of knowing you, of being brand new in you, Lord Jesus, We are experiencing something that no one else experiences because we have you. Lord, may this blessing overwhelm your church this morning. I mean, like, when this stream is done, Lord, would they be vibrating and jumping at the thought that you have chosen them and made them brand new and everything else in their life has been forgiven? It has been covered You have broken their chains. You've set them free. You've given them hope in a dark place. Lord, we have won the lottery. One day we'll join 10,000 worshipers in singing. That is the privilege that we have in you, Lord Jesus. We have been set free. Let's live in this freedom 
Let's celebrate this opportunity. Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. Amen. Have a great week. Thank you.